Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Parish in Concord on this beautiful Labor Day weekend. We have gathered this morning on this bridge between summer and autumn, this last lovely long weekend of the summer, this wistful moment when we turn our attention from the carefree days to more structure and more things to do. We know that we all gather during this very strange COVID-19 time and that even this weekend looks different this year. I'm glad that you have joined us for church this morning. Welcome wherever you are calling, you are viewing us from. We know that lots of folks are in and around Concord, but lots of other folks are different places. Some of you might have gotten away for the Labor Day weekend and are checking in from somewhere else in Maine or uh, down on the Cape. We want to welcome you. We also know that more and more people are joining us from around our country and in fact around the world. So welcome to all of you. Each and every one of you is welcome at this service today. May it feed your soul. As we always do, we go around and say hello and let you see who else is here doing worship with you. I'm Reverend Howard Dana and I'm the senior minister here and we're going to be in gallery view here. I'll just call on folks and let them say hello uh, to you this morning. Eric Heineke, uh, that was a beautiful prelude. We, you want to say hello to the folks? Eric is our organist. Good morning, friends. And next on my screen is Adrienne Betancourt. She is our social justice manager, social action manager. Good morning. I'm all excited about you, you, the vote today. And Beth Norton is here, our director of music ministry. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you this morning. And our Minister for Religious Exploration, Amy Friedman. Good morning. I'm thinking of everyone getting ready for school and sending you good wishes. And Don Van Patten, also working in religious exploration. Good morning, everyone. It's really great to be with you. Liz Weber is here, our Minister for Pastoral Care. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. And it's great to see Anderson Manuel back after a break. He's leading us in song today. Good morning. So happy to be back with you. And I want to introduce this morning Clem Tarpey. Clem is a member of the congregation and also a member of the Ministerial Intern Committee. And Clem is going to introduce our preacher this morning. So glad you're here, Clem. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you all. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you all Jade Sylvan, our new ministerial intern. Jade recently graduated from the Harvard Divinity School, where they won the Harvard Billings Preaching Prize in 2019 with their sermon, sermon excuse me, Joseph and the Amazing Pretty Princess Dress. Their essay, What the Gospels Share with Fan Fiction, was published in the Harvard Divinity Bulletin in 2018. They're the creator of Beloved King, a full-length biblical musical based on a queer interpretation of young King David. Jade is a Bible nerd, an art nerd, and a queer activist. And one of their missions in ministry is to marry the radical and the traditional. Please welcome Jade Selvin. Hi, everyone. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Mom. We are really thrilled to have Jade as our ministerial intern this year. And as you get to know them throughout the year, I know you will find uh, lots of pleasure in the conversations and the creativity and 
there'll be lots of learning that goes on on both sides. Welcome, Jade. And now for our call to worship. These are words by W.E.B. Du Bois, and I read them in honor of Labor Day, this day in which we think of the work that has built our country and our lives, this common ordinary work, this thing that happens day in and day out, and that we honor and remember on this holiday. The, this is what W.E.B. Du Bois wrote. He said, now is the accepted time, not tomorrow, not some more convenient season. It is today that our best work can be done and not some future day or future year. It is today that we fit ourselves for the greater usefulness of tomorrow. Today is the seed time, now are the hours of work, and tomorrow comes the harvest and the playtime. Let us worship together. Please join me in our chalice lighting. You're welcome to find a chalice or a candle in your home so that we can light our flames together. The original source of these words that I'm about to share is unknown but they have opened many Unitarian Universalist gatherings and they will help us as we prepare for our time together. We light this flame in remembrance of years past and the countless lives, known and unknown, that make our lives possible. We light this flame of life in affirmation of the strength that is ours to live this day and the potential we possess to create a better tomorrow. We light this flame of faith that our minds may be enlightened, our love deepened, our path together illumined by justice and peace. Will you join me in our response? O oh, flame of our faith, Open our hearts and fill our bodies and souls with persistent strength. Enliven our spirits and engage us deeply in this life of ours. This is the sacred, essential moment now. Good morning, everyone. And as we are about to sing our opening song, I just want to welcome you to take a deep breath. No matter what you've gone through, no matter how your week was, let it all go and spend this hour with us. If you are overwhelmed, may you find relief. If you seek joy, may you find laughter. If you are lonely, may you find companionship. And if you are hurting, may you find solace in this wonderful song that we're about to sing together. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Today will be a joyful day and to rejoice and come in. Let us sing together. Enter, rejoice and come in. Enter, rejoice and come in. Today will be a joyful day. 
and rejoice and come and open your ears to the song open your ears to the song open your ears to the song today will be a joyful day open your ears to the song open your hearts everyone Open your hearts, everyone. Open your hearts, everyone. Today will be a joyful day. Open your hearts, everyone. Don't be afraid of some change. Don't be afraid of some change. Don't be afraid of some change. Today will be a joyful day. Don't be afraid of some change. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Today will be a joyful day. Repeat it twice. Today will be a joyful day. Today will be a joyful day. Enter, rejoice, and come in. Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to this time of rejoicing, this time of being together, and a time of good questions. So one question that I have for you is if anybody knows what I am wearing on my hands. If you do, you can type it into the chat or just say it aloud to your family or whoever you're gathered with if you have folks with you. These are um, strips of leather covering my palms with my middle and ring fingers in little holes at the top. And then there's um, sort of like a bracelet that, that holds the bottom part um, to my wrist. So any guesses? If you guessed that these, or if you knew, because you use them too, that these are grips for gymnastics, you're correct. So these are um, a tool that gymnasts use when they're practicing or competing on the parallel bars to help grip the bar better so that they can do fancier tricks, harder tricks. And I'm bringing them to you today because I really loved my time in gymnastics but I was pretty lousy at bars on a score. At that time, the highest score you could get was a 10.0, and I would regularly get a five. I was not good at bars. I was, in fact, a loser at bars. Um, I would rank last among our team. But I didn't really care because I was in it for the enjoyment. I loved being a gymnast. It was okay with me 
that there were things that I just wasn't good at, and I didn't even care to work particularly hard at it. There were parts like bars that I was really lousy at, and then there were parts like balance beam that I was much better at. And here's a picture of me on the beam when I was a little kid, when I was a gymnast. This is probably the year before I started competing, or maybe the year that I started competing. Um, the beam is an apparatus that's four feet high and only four inches wide, and you do whatever you can do on it. I was pretty good at beam, and I liked it a lot. One of my teammates, she was a much better gymnast than I would, than I was. She could do fancier skills. Um, she had better tumbling skills. But for some reason on beam, I would usually get the higher score. It didn't really make sense because she had the harder skills, but I was doing better. But it made her really mad. And she actually said to me one day, I'm going to beat you, Elizabeth. I'm going to be the better gymnast on beam. I'm going to beat you. And I kind of shrugged and said, okay. She worked really hard, and she did start beating me and continually beat me. Um, which was appropriate because she was doing harder skills. But you see from my time on bars and from her time on beam that she had a really different reaction. The two of us had different reactions to what it felt like to be struggling and to lose. One of us said, well, that doesn't really matter to me because what I am more concerned about is that I'm having fun. And one of us said, this matters to me because I want to try hard and do my best and I want to win. But we were both on the same team and that was okay to have those different reactions. We were still able to continue competing together and playing together and living together. So Liz, I know that there's lots of kids watching this morning and tuning in and I'm struck by your story because we all have times in our lives when we try something and we really love it and we may not be the best at it, but we can either just do it because we enjoy it or we can really, really work at making it better. And that got me to thinking. It got me to thinking about what it's like to be part of a religious community as well. We know that Unitarians and Universalists throughout history have had times when sometimes they won the argument and sometimes they lost the argument. And sometimes the impulse when they were losing was to just try harder, to just do more and to, to really try and make it. So that's part of our religious history. I also think there's another part of our religious history that says religion is not about winning and losing so much. It's about the quality that it brings to our lives. It's about our relationship with God or with the sacred. It's about what's serving us well now. And in you telling us this story about when you were a gymnast and how your love of gymnastics was the most important thing. In fact, it was more important than winning or getting a perfect score. And so I wanna let our kids know and our young people and everybody know that at First Parish in Concord, it's not about winning or losing. Yes, we really do a good job of doing our best and we like excellence, but we are in it for the love of one another. 
And that is what our faith tells us is the most important thing, that we are to love one another, we are to love this earth, we are to love all that is holy and sacred, and yes, we work for those things, and yes, we care for those things, but it is the love that comes first. And so it's great to see a photo of you as a young person, and I know that that story will resonate with us. We wanna say thanks to all the kids who are joining us this morning, and there's a new family service starting next week, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the service. Now let us join in singing a song that we know well. Please sing along. Let us open our eyes to see what is beautiful. Let us open our minds to see what is true. Let us open our hearts to love one another, and may we walk in peace. And now we get to see and hear Jade. Welcome, Jade. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so this reading today is by Earl Morse Wilbur from a book called Socinism and Its Antecedents. Very exciting <laughs> sounding text for today, um, but it's a, a history book. Uh, and it says, there's immense there is an immense gap between the religion of the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus as reported to us in the first three gospels. And on the one hand, and the Orthodox Christianity of the fourth and fifth centuries as stated in the Nicene and Athanasian creeds on the other. In the former, while belief in God and recognition of human duty to obey God are everywhere taken for granted, the essence of religion is summed up as love to God and one's neighbor. And the whole emphasis is laid upon a life of reverent trust in God and kindly relations with others. In the latter, while piety and virtue may doubtless be presupposed in a Christian, yet they are hardly mentioned, still less are they insisted on as of vital importance. While the entire emphasis is laid upon profession of belief in abstruse speculative dogmas, which were finally arrived at, only after generations of hair-splitting controversy. So we're going way back <laughs> uh, this week. We're gonna talk about uh, the very beginnings of Christianity and the very beginnings of some ideas that would later come about to be Unitarianism or be you know, uh, drawn upon perhaps to become Unitarianism. I know when I first discovered Unitarian Universalism, I thought it was a more modern religion. I, I even thought of it as an American religion, and in many ways uh, it is, but the roots of Unitarianism particularly go way, way back to the very beginning of Christianity. 
Uh, and so one thing to know is that early Christianity didn't have unified doctrines. It started out as separate cults sort of scattered all around the, the Middle East. Uh, and it's important to remember that Christianity was also banned by the Roman Empire uh, at first, because after all, it was a religion based on the teachings of a radical Jewish activist that the Roman Empire found threatening enough to kill. So you're going to ban that. However, in the fourth century, Emperor Constantine realized that when the empire was systemically persecuting these weird superstitious Christians and throwing them to the lions, they were making martyrs, which was energizing the radicals. And this is not good for empire because empire wants people to be docile. So in 313, Constantine gave members of the Roman empire freedom of religion so they'd shut up. So now Christians could practice freely. And now that the Christians weren't as scared of being killed or thrown in jail for practicing their faith, they started fighting amongst themselves. So different beliefs started cropping up and there was no codified system to judge between them. So it was a lot of different groups of people yelling at one another based on their own interpretations of texts that were over 200 years old. So it was a lot like Twitter, except in Alexandria in the fourth century. So there's this guy, Arius of Alexandria, and he is a Libyan uh, presbyter, which was a church elder, and that's a picture of him. And he's listening to other Christian leaders talking about Jesus and the Trinity, and they're saying that Jesus, the Son, is one and the same with God, the Father, and that they both existed forever and are made of the same primal, essential stuff. And Arius is like, um, do you not know what a father and a son is? Like fathers create sons, sons come out of fathers, words mean stuff. I kind of think that this is important. And so he says that Jesus was created by God, you know, before everything else, yes, and is still divine, uh, but was still created, is not exactly the same thing as God. Uh, and Arius writes this comment and it starts to trend and people are sharing it and they're debating it and it's spreading all over Africa. And the Bishop of Alexandria, whose name was Alexander of Alexandria, okay, uh, is like, no, I'm a Trinitarian guy. I think Jesus and God are absolutely the same, two beings, but the same stuff always existed. And I have let this go on for way too long because I do not agree with this Arius person and the people who agree with him. So they start a flame war and there are two camps. There's the Jesus is made by God camp, who are headed up by Arius, and the Jesus is God camp, which is headed up by, the, by Alexander of Alexandria, the bishop. And Constantine, Constantine hears about this, and he's like, no, I don't like conflict amongst my people, because when people are mad, they are not as productive, and they are not as good as, at paying taxes. So fortunately, this is why I legalized Christianity, because now I can stick my nose right into it. And Constantine sends a message to Alexandria basically saying, gentlemen, please engage in civilized discourse, listen to one another, and resolve this matter respectfully. Now, how do you think that went? It didn't go well. So <laughs> they did not listen respectfully. Uh, in, thir in 325, Constantine, he makes the unprecedented move of calling an ecumenical council called the Council of Nicaea to hear both sides and finally decide the matter. And the emperor himself, Constantine, would preside over it. 
dozens of powerful clergy show up from every diocese to decide this matter once and for all. Everyone who was anyone in church leadership came, and Constantine is still not really invested in this. He thinks it will be settled quickly. He thinks it's an abstract matter, only interesting to nerds, and doesn't see what the big deal is, and I have to say I relate to Constantine a little bit here. But to the people involved, this was a huge deal. This was a debate about the nature of God. Arius showed up to defend his position that Jesus was created from God, and the Bishop of, Alexander, uh, the Bish Bishop of Alexandria uh, brought his 27-year-old deacon Athanasius to defend the Jesus is God camp. And was, when Arius read his comments out loud, people flipped out. And many people said they were heretical, and they fought and raged, and the fight ra raged on for two months. And there's one account that even says that they came to blows, and says that St. Nicholas slapped Arius uh, in the face at one point. And yes, it is that St. Nicholas, and yes, Santa Claus slapped Arius over this abstract idea, uh, according to one account. <laughs> but... The champion of the Jesus is God camp ended up being the young deacon Athanasius, and he argued that yes, fathers beget sons, but since God was eternally the father, God had always already been begetting or something. It's confusing. Anyway, Athanasius won, and as you can see in this image, uh, that's Athanasius down at the bottom, and uh, all of these other guys with Constantine in the center are winning. So... Athena, uh, I'm sorry, so that's Arius at the bottom, and this is uh, everybody else, uh, including Athanasius at the top, and that's Constantine. So uh, you can see Arius was the loser here. Uh, and then all of the, the guys who won wrote up the Creed of Nicaea, uh, which made this view official. And interestingly, uh, Athanasius, the guy who, who beat Arius, later became the Bishop of Alexandria, and he spent most of his life railing against Arius's views. So he's still mad about it. <laughs> and uh, he was also the first person to initially name the 27 canonized books of the New Testament as we know them today. So we owe him for a lot of the status quo. He's been called the father of orthodoxy. And this was really the beginning of orthodoxy in the Christian world uh, and of Christianity becoming a creedal religion, as opposed to when focused on, uh, as Wilbur said in our reading, uh, a life of reverent trust in God and kindly relations with others. So in Unitarian Universalism, Universalism, A Narrative History, which is a book by David E. Bumbaugh, he writes, uh, the Ari Arians, it's Arian, not like Arian, it's Arius guys, uh, lost the struggle for the soul and mind of the church, but the major effect of their persistent struggle was to shift the center of Christianity from an ethical to a creedal religion, concerned less with character than with correctness of beliefs. The Council of Nicaea began the process which would eventuate in the doctrine of the Trinity, the teaching that Jesus was both fully God and fully human, and that God, while in one nature, was manifest as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit of one substance, co-eternal. And to this day, the this belief in the Trinity and that Jesus is co-equal and co-existent with God is the only doctrine considered to be ecumenical throughout the major branches of Christianity, Catholicism, Eastern Western Orthodoxy, and Protestantism, but not Unitarianism. Ah. 
and some others. <laughs> um, but Arius, the Unitarian forebearer in many ways, uh, the one who believed that God was one thing and that Jesus came from that one being, was the loser of the Council of Nicaea. And as punishment for losing, he was denounced as a heretic and his work was burned and he himself was exiled. And Constantine even declared that anyone hiding works by Arius should be put to death. Um, and as a result, we actually know very little about Arius and his works other than what was written by his enemies. So I wanna just lift up, you know, as echo, um, that this ridiculously abstract debate had real embodied con consequences for this African man and also served to erase a large part of his legacy from history. And so Unitarian, Unitarianism started out as a Christian religion, but then we lost, or Arius lost. Right? But Arius's ideas didn't go away. In fact, they continued to spread throughout Africa and the Mediterranean and eventually into Europe. And remember, Jesus lost to Rome too. But Jesus's teachings didn't go away either, even if they have gotten lost in abstract debates of creed and belief. A life of reverent trust and kindly relations with others. Hmm. Do we remember those teachings? Or are we caught up in, in the, the details of, do we believe the same thing exactly about this abstract concept? So this life of radical care and centering for the marginalized is still possible, even when we lose the big abstract debates. And the world that the Council of Nicaea begat is still very concerned with debates on abstract ideas. This is secular or sacred or religious. Um, we're still very concerned about correctness of belief. We want to change minds. We want to save people's souls, whether we call it that or not. However, I offer that one changed mind is maybe not as valuable as one marginalized life centered and uplifted. So may we not get so caught up in the details of correctness of belief that we forget what we can do in the physical world to make it better for the marginalized. May we move away from the flame war enough to love and uplift the neighbor, the oppressed and the marginalized with our time and our money and our passion. And may we remember that there is still work to do whether we win or whether we lose. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jade. And there's a reflection question for all of us. So it's right here on your screen. Jot down in the chat a few words. Here's the question. When the other side wins, how do you stay engaged in the struggle? When the other side wins, how do you stay engaged in the struggle?
There are some wonderful responses here in the chat and I will read a few of them. You all can go through and read them as well, but there's some real wisdom here. So what do you do when the other side wins to stay engaged? Listen with compassion, keep doing the right thing. Wait, who, what is the other side? It's always good to ask that. Appreciate relationships, join with other folks in the effort, keep showing up. 90% of success is showing up. Get to know them better, empathy. Change the existing paradigm. Value my abilities, whatever they are. Relationship. Try to listen more, say less. Step back, regroup, go on. Wait for the next election cycle. I continue to struggle. I look to the other side and try and see their views. Celebrate with them. Attempt understanding. Drop the sides, seek common ground. Find another way in, take a deep breath. There are so many here. They go on and on. Another deep breath before speaking. There is much wisdom, even when our side doesn't win. Thank you for your responses. And now we're going to sing again. Thank you for your responses and thank you, Jade, for, for getting us started on a bunch of big questions. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? There's a wonderful chant on these words, which will come back to us this year as we're thinking about our history and about where we came from and, and, and what has made us Unitarian Universalists. Um, and this is a chant by the Canadian composer, Brian Tate. And I would love to review that with those of you who know it and teach it to those of you who don't. So have a little bit of help from an electronic friend. So the first part goes like this. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Sing with me. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? That's part one. And if you like that, you can keep singing that as long as you like. Part two is a little different. It's only one question. Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Try that. Where do we come from? Where do we come from? And part three might be a reaction to those two or three questions. Mystery, 
Mystery. Life is a riddle and a mystery. Try that. Mystery. Mystery. Life is a riddle and a mystery. 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 Life is a riddle and a mystery. 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 Life is a riddle and a mystery. So we're going to now layer those on top of each other. Feel free to sing whichever one you like. You can even switch back and forth between them. Okay, so we're going to start together in just a couple seconds. Here we all, where do we come from? And where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Second part. Where do come from and who we are and where we are going are parts of ourselves at, that we honor and part of our community that we honor each week. When there is something important that has happened in your life and you want to be held in prayer and meditation by me and Howard and Amy, by our staff, by your fellow congregants and parishioners, you are always welcome to let me know and ask that you be held during the Sunday morning service. This week we have a number of milestones to lift up, and so I invite you to join me in prayer and meditation for these folks. First, Ian and Liesel Simmons are grieving for John Leroy Simmons, Ian's father. 
John died peacefully in his sleep in Chicago this week. And we especially hold John's widow, Adele, in prayer. They were married for 53 years. And hold John's grandkids, Asha, Nora, and Xanthi. In John's memory, Liesl and Ian invite us to say, I love you to someone who might need to hear that right now. Another loss this week is that Reverend Howard Dana had to put down his 13-year-old dog, Rosie. Though this was a very hard thing to do, Howard shares that he is feeling well-supported by family and friends. A card or email of condolence would be welcome. We are connected across the world to one another, and I share news from our partner church in Seke Carister. Reverend, Ch Reverend Todor's wife, Ava, who is the music director there, is unfortunately ill. She has come down with COVID, but thankfully it is a mild case. She is doing pretty well, and Chaba and the kids are healthy, and they were able to have her be tested in time that she wasn't around the congregation. But we hold Ava and the entire family and community there in our prayers. Closer to home, Sally Shulman uh, has moved to assisted living in Brookline. She looks forward to maintaining her connection with First Parish. She doesn't have a phone set up yet, but Sally welcomes cards and emails to help her mark this milestone. And Bill Seaver continues to recover at home after his cardiac event and pneumonia. He is feeling somewhat better, but he and Sherry continue to request no calls. I also want to take a moment to celebrate today. We have a couple of staff milestones happening. Uh, as well as Doug's retirement, our new Sexton building person whose new title I haven't quite learned yet is on board, and so we welcome Bruce. We also honor Barry Kopp and Biff Holt, who are retiring from their assistant Sexton position. Biff was with us for three years, and Barry has been an assistant sexton for 14 years, but actually a member of this congregation for almost 40 years. Barry is continuing with us as a member. So we honor Barry and Biff. And Barry, we welcome you back to being, getting to be a regular old parishioner. So these are milestones that, that we hold, and I know that all of you are holding milestones as well in your hearts. If there are folks that you want to name aloud in this moment or type into the chat, please let us call their names now so that we can hold one another and our wider community and world in prayer. Who is on your heart?
of life, God of our Unitarian ancestors, sense and source of love surrounding all of us, we come in prayer today and offering up the meditations on our hearts. We think of those who are experiencing joy. We especially celebrate and offer our blessings to Barry and Biff, both of whom are continuing as members here at First Parish. We thank them for their service and welcome them back into the fold of membership. We offer a special blessing for Jade as they begin their internship. May this be a year of learning and growing and claiming their ministerial authority, a year of joy. And we offer blessings and celebrate with those who you have named aloud or in the chat. We also lift up those who are in pain or facing challenges today, including those who we named in our homes a moment ago and especially also the Simmons family, Sally Schloman, Bill and Sherry, Ava and Chaba, and our second character friends, and Howard. And for all of us, when we struggle or when we are on the losing side, may we take time to grieve our loss Take time to recover and to breathe, to hold on to what is good while we move away from the flame war, away from the fray. May we have faith that the ideals we fight for will continue, that deeper truth that was and is and evermore shall be. It remains with us through the ages. May we take action to uplift those who are marginalized. May we take action as we stay engaged, as we side with love and justice. Let us always lean on one another and offer our best selves to our wider world. I invite you to abide with me in this moment of silence and then sing together again.
only eight weeks to the election, and we have things to celebrate. First Parish and Concord folks have already sent out almost, and get this, 10,000 postcards since the spring, joined text and phone banks, energized colleges to register students, held well-attended events on democracy, and stepped up into mentoring and leadership roles. And applause to all of you at our parish for your great election work so far. But it's not yet enough, not nearly. And so listen up, this is your moment. All hands on deck, last chance to be counted, try something new, and we are making it easy for you. Everything you do for you, you, the vote over the next two months, big or small, has an impact. Whether you have a few hours a week, a few hours a day, you're a kid, family, retiree, no matter the age, get involved now. We are fighting for our very lives. What keeps you awake at night? Nearly 200,000 documented lost lives and an unchecked course to tens of thousands more. The politicizing of the CDC and FDA when we need timely but safe vaccines. The need for another relief package and one that does not discriminate on the basis of immigration status. A well-funded postal service and a safe and democratic election process. We must get a handle on this pandemic with science-based and compassionate leadership for our schools and society. Have you been watching the state-sponsored violence, watched even our military move into cities where they are not wanted? Do you yearn for leadership to assist in racial equity and healing? Are you upset that the EPA has ceased protecting clean air and water, our forests and wilderness? That we may be pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord this autumn. On this centennial of women's suffrage, are women's reproductive rights important to you? Join fellow UUs across America in affirming our principles through action. On today's chat after the service, you'll find a link to a Google form where you can check off the types of election work that you're interested in. And we have point people ready to connect you. That same sign-up sheet will be available in tomorrow's FP Weekly. And we have a marvelous kickoff event this Thursday evening at seven. Kelsey Cowger with UU The Vote will be our speaker. At that event, FP UU The Vote planners will briefly share each of the areas that await your participation. I and the team are happy to get your emails, to speak to you by phone or Zoom and support you as you need. <clears throat> Look for all of the election opportunities on FP Weekly, the RE Weekly, our social action Facebook page, and on the UU The Vote webpage on our website. If you don't see what you want, you have another idea, email me and share with what you're already doing. First Parish in Concord has a great reputation in Massachusetts and nationally for its social action leadership. Let's set the highest standard for other UU churches by breaking all records for our own participation in UU The Vote. Thank you, Adrian. There's lots to do. Um, it is the marathon we've been on is now a sprint to the finish line. So let us use these two months very well and get involved and do whatever we can. I'm really happy to announce this morning that we are starting back with our Share the Plate program. 
This has been so successful and has reached and helped so many people. We stopped it temporarily when COVID-19 broke out. We just didn't know what was gonna happen. We didn't know how the funding was gonna be and those were pretty chaotic times. But we're over the chaos now and now we're going to go back to a monthly Share the Plate program. So as you get ready to uh, text the number that will appear on your screen or think about the check that you're going to mail into the church office or go to the website and donate there, I want to tell you a little bit about our September recipient. It's Black Ballot Power. Black Ballot Power is based in Jamaica Plain, New York, or Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, and is a nonpartisan national campaign to increase Black voter turnout, focusing on critical areas of the country. It supports organizers all over the United States. It is a project of the Union of Minority Neighborhoods. You can find out more about them at blackballotpower.com. I encourage you to give generously to this organization, knowing that half of the money that you send in for this will go to the church and half will go to them. An offering for the good work and witness of First Parish in Concord and Black Ballot Power will now be gratefully received. As we begin to close our service, I would like to let you know of a few things that are going on. It's September, so things are going to get busy again. Please check your uh, FP weekly email or your uh, RE weekly email to uh, get the most uh, in-depth information about what's going on. And if you're not receiving those, check your spam folder or contact Sarah in the church office and she can help you figure that out. There's a number of things going on. You can hang out here on the chat for a bit on this uh, platform, or you can jump over to the worship sharing circle if you're interested in a facilitated conversation about the themes of today's service. That link will be in the chat. And we have here with us Jim Reynolds from the Standing Committee. Good morning, Jim. 
Hi, everybody. Um, the standing committee will have uh, at least one member attending every service, and then afterwards uh, we'll be available at coffee hour and uh, for questions and, and comments on the service. And today, um, I win. Uh, I get to do it. So looking forward to speaking to anybody who shows up shortly. Great. Thank you, Jim. Uh, feel free to hop over there and uh, get meet some new people and um, see some folks that are longstanding friends. A couple of things that are coming up starting next week, we have a family worship service that will take place each week from 9.30 to 9.50 a.m. And all are welcome at this 20 minute service. Uh, Reverend Amy Friedman and her husband, Peter Bowden are the leads on this. Don will be there too. Uh, it's a very exciting new offering that we're starting next week. Um, next Sunday afternoon, uh, Concord residents are urged to attend the town meeting. First Parish is slated to receive $75,000 to help refurbish our steeple. And this is not likely to be controversial during the uh, town meeting, but it's always good to be there anyway. And uh, the vote is likely to take place between 1.30 and 2 o'clock p.m. And if you have questions, see Holly Kratzley for more details. That's Holly Kratzley. And the last thing is that Tuesday, September 15th marks six months since COVID was declared a pandemic and since First Parish went online. Reverend Liz Weber and Beth Norton are hosting a special worship service that evening called Entering Autumn, Holding On and Letting Go to honor this milestone. Liz and Beth will lead us in a time to mark the losses and the newfound strength that have been part of our lives during this season of COVID-19. We will especially remember those who have died from our first parish community. And now let us join in our closing song. Our closing song is particularly appropriate for today when we are learning about our history and about the origins of the Nicene Creed. The song is a well-known hymn called Holy, 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 which I grew up singing in the Presbyterian Church and my husband grew up singing in the Unitarian Church. Only we sang different words. And um, that was brought home to me, especially the first time we went to worship together in a Unitarian church, and we sang this hymn. And as we turned to, as we sang the very last phrase, I turned to my husband and sang the words that I had learned, which were, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We're gonna sing the Unitarian words this morning. The hymn tune is called Nicaea because the tune was composed originally to set this, this, po this poem that was a, po a poetic version of the Nicene Creed. So the words, these Unitarian words will appear on your screen too. I invite you to sing along with me. Oh. 
everybody for joining us this morning as we go out into the world either literally or metaphorically or digitally uh, I would like to affirm that it's okay to want to win in fact I want to win and it's okay to fight to win and it's good to fight to win but I also want to remind us that losing has never been the end and losing will continue to not be the end. So go out, fight, and whether you win or lose, keep working. Amen. And let us join in the first parish benediction saying, go out into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all beings. Oh,